First uh, Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 16. This is the word of God. It's eternally true. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul here has a context and And our tendency to read scripture in very small sections and study it in very small sections, we forget the flow of the text that we're reading. And we always have to remember that the flow of all of these verses in 1 Corinthians is Paul fighting to keep his head above water with the congregation in Corinth. He is behind the eight ball, he is despised, he is rejected, and he's despised and rejected because he's seen to be too zealous, too simple, uh, not sophisticated enough, not tall enough, not having gravitas of the kind they want. He didn't have uh, the kind of sort of weight that they wanted their teachers to have. And there were other men around who clearly had the kind of weight that was needed. Uh, they, Their clothing, their educational pedigree, although how do you get better than Gamaliel? I don't know. But whatever they were doing was very impressive, and Paul wasn't. And so they were constantly faced with this dude over here who was always in their face and never sort of the kind of man that you'd expect a pastor to be. And over here, men who were exactly the kind of men you'd expect a pastor to be. And this guy was scandalous, and these guys over here were very, very much the uh, lending, their, uh, lending their status to the congregation. And so the congregation felt good when those men taught and preached and counseled and wrote them. But when the Apostle Paul did, it was, it was disgusting. The Apostle Paul was really a disgusting man. And so the Apostle Paul is defending himself. Now, most men who are the kind of men that you think of as being real pastors today have a saying that they're very fond of. And the saying is, I never defend myself. And for years, I was, I was snookered by that. For years, I thought, well, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I always used to hope that one day God would give me enough dignity that I stopped defending myself. You know, that God would give me enough security in myself and who I am seated in the heavenlies that I wouldn't defend myself anymore. 
And it probably took like 25 years, 20 years, for me to begin to think about the fact that the Apostle Paul defends himself all the time. And to think, well, how can somebody be right who says, I never defend myself, when the Apostle Paul's always defending himself? I mean, you have to realize everything we just read is the Apostle Paul defending himself. And if you don't believe me, go back and read it in the flow. You'll see that's what he's doing. He's defending himself. So what's wrong with the Apostle Paul that he always had to defend himself? And then we play the game that evangelicals always play in order to eviscerate scripture of any potency, any virility, which is to say, well, that was back then, or that's Jesus, or that's Paul. And then we don't feel any need to apply what scripture says to ourselves and take it seriously. So why was the Apostle Paul defending himself? Well, the Apostle Paul understood that as a preacher and as an apostle, the reputation of God was at stake with his reputation. Now, this isn't really a complicated thing. Um, I don't remember who it was, but earlier in the service, it was Jeff. Jeff in his prayer, his prayer of confession, did you hear what he said? At the end of the prayer, it talked about God's reputation being at stake with the people of God. Did you hear that? And if you think about us as a church, when we are godly, God is glorified in this community. And when we are ungodly, God is a scandal in this community. In other words, as a congregation, God's reputation is harmed or strengthened in this community because of us and our reputation. And so if somebody starts attacking God, the Father, and you're present, immediately you defend him, just as you would your own father if your own father were attacked, or your brother. And if God... His reputation is attacked. You take it personally. If this church, if our reputation is attacked, you take it personally. And so really, if you are attacked for your commitment to God and your faith and for your zeal for God, you should defend it, right? And so if you say, you know, I never defend myself, what are you really saying? What you're really saying is you're too proud to fight. What you're really saying is that you know that if you defend yourself, that then you'll get dirty. You'll have to roll up your sleeves. You may have to change your pants afterwards because they got all muddy because you had to fight. You know what little kids look like after they wrestle outside of the church on Sunday morning, right? The Apostle Paul here has his sleeves rolled up, he has his pants rolled up, and he's down in the dirt and he's wrestling for his reputation. He is defending himself. And you know what he's defending himself against? He's defending himself against those who say that he's not very impressive, that he's not a force to be taken seriously, that that he makes much ado about nothing. You know, that he's always majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. That he doesn't have a sense of proportion. That he's not really a serious man. And because, why? Well, because you know that 
um, he didn't, he wasn't married. And we know that those who aren't married aren't really serious women. Not forces to be contended with. He didn't have children. And if, if, if you don't have children, you're not really a serious man. How many of you know who I'm quoting? Anybody here know who I'm quoting? You should know it. It's Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard has this long section where he goes on talking about all the reasons St. Paul was not a serious man. (laughs) And it's absolutely hilarious because if there was anybody on earth other than Jesus and maybe John the Baptist that was serious, it was the Apostle Paul, right? Would you all give me that? Wonderfully serious and single, wonderfully serious, and his children were Timothy and his converts. And so he's been attacked for not being a serious man, not having dignity, not lending the kind of reputation that the church wanted, not having the stature of the kind of pastor they needed. Mary Lee and I have a, have a it's not a saying, but there's this little thing that we do with each other, um, and it communicates this, and, 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 and it's when we talk about pastors with hairspray. There are certain pastors who... Um, use hairspray. And the hairspray, I I guess I don't have anything against a man using hairspray. There are probably some men here that have used hairspray. You're pretty safe because you're you're bald. But Aaron? No. I just thought you'd get a kick out of me asking if you did, you know. (laughs) Um, Hairspray stands for what? Well, it stands for the fact that the sermon has three points, not four, not two. And that there are just the right proportion of shaggy dog stories, poetry, hymn quotations, and citations of Arndt and Gingrich, you know, the lexicons. And when you, when you go in and, and counsel with them, um, you know that you better not have blood caked on the walls incommoding the passers-by. You know, it's not an abattoir, it's his study. And so you better not bleed. And that's the kind of competition the Apostle Paul was up against. He was up against pastors with hairspray. All right? In verse 6 he says, Yet we do not speak, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. And this gives you a picture of him having to fight for whether or not what he spoke was wisdom. When he preached, was it wisdom? Was it worth listening to? Was it worth anybody taking it and building their lives on it? Was it biblical? Was it honoring to God? And he says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. And when you think about how pastors and writers and conference speakers sell themselves in America today, it is carefully calculated to appeal to the immature. Because it's all marketing. You know it because right away, what do you see? You see the pictures. You know it because when you read the bio, the bio tells you it's marketing because the bio always talks about how large their church is, how fast it got that large, 
Sometimes the missions budget, absolutely the books that have been written and that they're bestsellers. Now listen, people, can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying that? Can you imagine him allowing blurbs to go out? First of all, they wouldn't have his picture because I don't think he was good looking. And I doubt that he was tall. He says, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. And he grows and grows in his explanation of what the significance is of the way that he presents his message. The hidden wisdom, hidden from whom? Well, it's hidden from those who have their eyes caught by popsicles and lollipops and cotton candy and loud music, boom boxes, subwoofers, you know, whatever album Apple has chosen to highlight on Tuesday, the marketing. And he tells us that the wisdom that he speaks is for the mature. It's not for the immature. And he tells us that that wisdom is a wisdom that ends up blessing those that God has called from eternity past with things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so presenting the fact that the wisdom that he uses, the content of his message, the way it's presented, the way it's packaged is for the mature, it's not for the immature. That it appeals to those that God has ordained from eternity past to belong to him and to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. It's not for the, the masses of the world that are on the broad path that leads to destruction, but for that small group that God has chosen for the straight and narrow path. And then he says, here's, here's the wonderful thing. You cannot imagine the things that God has prepared for us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. It hasn't even entered the thought, the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And then verse 10, for to us, God revealed them through the spirit. And so what he's saying is it's the spirit that has opened us up so that we are willing to believe so that we are willing to see with mature eyes, to hear with mature ears, so that our hearts begin to open up to the things of God. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And it's unbelievable, if you think of it, that of all the people in the world, it is us that God has revealed himself to. It's unbelievable. Why you? Why are you here this morning? Why are you understanding and here this morning? There are those here this morning who aren't understanding. Why are you understanding and hearing this morning? For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, how does the Holy Spirit know the things that he's revealing to us? Well, he knows them because it's his work to search 
In other words, to know all things, even those things hidden in the very deepest part of God's perfections, even the very depths of God. Imagine the person of the Holy Spirit who perfectly knows the mind and heart of God as our teacher. And from him we receive forgiveness and life abundant, life eternal. Verse 11, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. In other words, he's saying that when it comes to man, it is man's self-knowledge, his self-awareness that knows the inner secrets of our hearts. If you're married, there probably came a time where you realized that even though you were married and one with your wife or husband, that you were still alone. Those of you about to get married, I'm sorry, but marriage does not remove loneliness. There are things that only the spirit of a man knows. You can be married many, many years and get to the point where you can anticipate the punchline of every joke, even new ones your husband tells you. You know what direction it's headed. I once made the mistake of talking about my wife being an old shoe that has conformed itself to to the foot in such a way that the bunions have expanded the leather out and all the women of the church were just furious at me, comparing my wife to an old shoe. But you know what I'm talking about if you've been married a long time where, you know, you you know an unbelievable amount about how your wife or husband is going to react, in what situation, what they're thinking. Uh, You have little three-word sections of jokes and you can just say those three-word sections You know, he uses hairspray. That's all I have to say to Mary Lee. And there's just this humongous subtext to he uses hairspray. You know, the elders' meetings are always clean. There's never a fight. You know, the sermons always have three points. I just say he uses hairspray. Mary Lee knows exactly what I'm saying. And yet, what Scripture says is this. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? And so your self-awareness and self-knowledge ultimately is alone. If you decide to hide something, it's hidden. Unless God brings it in the light. You think about the secrets that you have. Only your spirit knows them. Who knows the secrets of a man's heart except the spirit of the man which is in him? Well, even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. And so God is not known by us because he made us. The only one that knows the deep things of God is the spirit of God. The only one who can reveal the things of God to you is the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing, if you think about it, that we have a book, that every single word of that book is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Every single word. And yet, reading that book, if you're literate, you cannot know anything of God. Nothing. Unless the Holy Spirit makes you able to understand the word of God. And that's an amazing thing if you think about it. 
I guess we can kind of accept the fact that people can be in nature and not know God because there's so many people around that think it is we who made ourselves and not he. And yet, when it comes to Scripture, it's hard to imagine that somebody can read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So clear. And they read it and they go, huh? You've had that experience of quoting Scripture to somebody who was very intelligent, very literate. And it was clear. Does not compute. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Every one of God's secrets is good and just and righteous since he is perfection and holiness and truth utterly. And we cannot know him except through the Holy Spirit. It's very important that we see here that we're not talking about simply God's self-knowledge, but we're talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When we speak of the Spirit of God, knowing the thoughts of God. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak... And so, again, the same theme is being struck, which is that when it comes to the things of God, it is the Spirit of God that opens those things up to us. That without the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no way that we can know anything having to do with God in a way that saves us. Now, this is not to say, in Romans 1, it talks about how Nature itself teaches us. But nature doesn't teach us in such a way for us to be saved. Nature doesn't lead us to Jesus Christ. Nature doesn't tell us about God sending his son. Scripture does. But even if you combine the book of God with the book of nature, so that God's general revelation and his special revelation are all there, and you even have a literate person, maybe even somebody who's pretty bright, and you read John 3.16, you still have nothing without the Holy Spirit opening up their mind so that they understand it. He says, which things also we speak, the things of God. And then he says in verse 13, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now remember, the whole theme that we're dealing with here is the theme of the Apostle Paul having to defend himself. And so here he comes back to his theme. He says, look, you cannot know God unless the Holy Spirit reveals him to you. You must have the Spirit revealing him. And then he says, the things of the Spirit we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, what's his point here? Well, his point here is, again, to defend the way that he preaches and teaches and ministers to them. 
And he says, we're not using words taught by human wisdom. We are not the spirit of the world. We are not the words of the world. We are not the spirit of human wisdom. We are not the words of human wisdom. We are not unspiritual in the words that we use. But since we are communicating spiritual thoughts, we are using spiritual words. Now stop for a second and ask yourself, what is the spirit of the world? What, is, what are words of human wisdom? What are unspiritual words? Let me ask it a different way. At the end it says, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Let's combine spiritual thoughts with unspiritual words. Okay, let's try it. All right? Okay, we're going to combine spiritual thoughts with unspiritual words. Worldly words. Now, how would you do that? Um, When I was growing up, the way that you would talk about it is you would talk about... um, You would talk about... Uh, gaudy things. You would talk about baubles, B-A-U-B-L-E-S. You would talk about um, superficiality. Uh, When I was in high school, I ran with the guys that thought they were the world's connoisseurs of rock and roll music. And so I would listen carefully to them because they were musicians and I wasn't. And I learned that there were certain bands that you didn't like and certain bands that you did. And the bands that you weren't supposed to like were superficial. There was a certain attractiveness to it. If I were to define the one band above all other bands that anybody with any self-respect would despise, it would be ABBA. All right? Because ABBA is what we call bubblegum music. They didn't even know English, right? You know, it's like all these, like, catchy harmonies, these hooks, you know, and they go, and everybody spends their life going, you know, and there's no depth to it, none at all. And we called it bubblegum music. And so if you think about it, combining spiritual thoughts with unspiritual words is to turn the things of God, into bubblegum music. It's to give them hooks and harmonies and and beats and and stuff that packages it perfectly so a 13-year-old girl likes it. Can I say girl or should I say person? Eh. Girl, a guy says girl, are you okay? Can I say girl? Is that okay? All right, thanks. And brothers and sisters, the truth is today that Christian faith has become a matter of bling. It is absolutely, unbelievably tied to bling.
But typically, among our circles, it's white bling. If you want to know what bling is in evangelical circles, come to a garage sale and go through the books that are being discarded. And what you'll see is a chronicling of 20 years of evangelical bling. All the best sellers from five years ago. The bookstores are filled with them. And it's an indication of the spiritual thoughts they contained and the depth of ministry that they provided that people were discarding them by the hundreds of thousands. You know a book I've never seen in a garage sale? I've never seen Knowing God in a garage sale. (laughs) There may be one. And I won't name the ones. I will tell you that one of them that showed up this week was the shack. (laughs) Think of Bruce Wilkinson. Now, I won't get today because if I were to name the books today, some of you have them and you'd think that I'm insulting you. But people, the church is filled with bling. And here's the bling. The bling is the accent of the preacher. The bling is whether or not he has a doctorate. The bling is the occupation of the elders. The bling is the architecture of the structure. The bling is the clothes. The bling is whether or not the violinist at the front plays with the Philadelphia Orchestra. And here, I don't know what it would be here, but you all in the music school know what it would be. You know, maybe who their instructor is, their voice instructor. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is saying that we are to have nothing, nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. Nothing. And until you get to the point that you hate the bling, hate it, that you never want the things of God to be combined with unspiritual words. That you do not want your preacher to have three points. Now, don't get me wrong. Excellent sermons can have three points. I, I, I would do a better job if I had three points more often. Typically, I only have one. <laughs> That's because I'm a narrow-minded man. (laughs) But until you get to the point that you discipline yourself to be impervious to bling. Impervious! In other words, it cannot get through your thick skin. It cannot influence your head. It can't get your heart. Until you make yourself absolutely impervious to bling with the things of God you will not begin to grow. You will not begin to grow. Because bling never has anything to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never, ever, ever dresses up the things that you need in such a way as to make you want them. I mean, do you understand this? I was saying to somebody I love this last week, all my growth has come through suffering. And suffering ain't bling. 
Think of the bling that the Apostle Paul speaks of at the end of the book of Galatians. Remember it? It has to be one of my most precious texts of Scripture. He gets to the end and he's absolutely left everything on the court. And it's not for the buzzer he's playing. It's for heaven and the judgment seat. And when he gets to the end, having done everything he can to to protect the souls under his care, he gets to the end, he says what? Yeah, from now on, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's, that's cleaned up. From now on, don't let anybody give me any trouble. Because I bear on my body the bling. I mean, it's just ludicrous. I bear on my body what? He bears on his body the marks of suffering. And so until you get to the point where the hairspray and the three points and the shaggy dog stories and the pictures and the conferences and, and all, all those people who peddle the word of God for the sake of profit, it is absolutely despicable to you. You hate it. The websites, the blogs, the... The, the marketing poise, until you can't stand it, until you find yourself waking up in the morning wishing for an, a, a little, short, bald, fat man who's probably blind. Actually, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have been fat because his God was not his belly. Until you wake up in the morning and you want the Apostle Paul, you're in bondage to the evangelical church. And it's all bling, and there's no hope for you. You will never grow. Yikes. (laughs) I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? He says combining what? He says combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm going to use the words that don't overpower the truth. Do you get that? I'm going to carefully cultivate my presentation in such a way that it's God that you think of, not me. That it's his truth that you need, that you're going to leave with, not me. That you're not going to think, oh, what a deep man. The Apostle Paul is. <laughs> you read the Apostle Paul's writings, do you think anybody's sitting there thinking, my. No. You know what people are when they read the Apostle Paul? They were the subjects he was writing to. You know what they thought? They got angry. They were angry at Listen, everything going on in the church of Corinth is going on today. We are 10 times more addicted to bling than the Corinthians were. There's nothing in Western world other than bling. That's all it is. I have few things that I've ever believed in my life will make a difference. Few things. 
other than the old things. Getting married, good discipline. And a man should bear the responsibility. I mean, what an unromantic view of marriage. What about her being his best friend and, and the stars lining up in the sky and, and the hallmark and the... It's good for a man to bear a yoke in his youth. <laughs> Let him sit under it. Hey, Jimmy? Right on. All right. Having children. It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth, and she shall be saved through childbearing. <laughs> Being an elder. It's good for a man to bear a yoke. Being a Titus two women. Showing up at church on Sunday morning, particularly when you don't want to. Getting gas in the car, it's helpful. You know, cleaning off the terminals on the battery, cutting the grass, washing the dishes. Did you remember I say there are a few things that I have seen in my life that I think make a difference? Other than the things that three centuries ago everybody did. So what things today really make a difference that are modern and that everybody's trying to sell? Well, I'm a believer in antibiotics. There's one. <laughs> and we have to wait and see about proton therapy. <laughs> I actually am a believer in that. <laughs> but I told you, few things. I think in the larger scheme of things, my father doing the paraphrase of the Living Bible might have done more harm than good. And hundreds of millions believe that that was, that was a wonderful gift. Maybe, but maybe not. Forget the bling. Just forget it. Forget the gaudiness. Forget the accents, forget how he dresses, forget the architecture of the church, forget which style of music you like, whether you're a bubblegum person or Genesis. It's utterly repulsive to me. Utterly repulsive. Cubs versus White Sox. Forget the bling. What you want is you want older women teaching you who you get mad at. <laughs> How many people have left this church who are women because they had a godly older woman who made them mad? And being fools, they left. You want elders who make you mad. You want a preacher who's got a monotone and seems to speak to you in the same tone of voice he uses when you're right next to him. And doesn't have three points. But that one point, <laughs> I get it! <laughs> you know, he's in your face, right? Now, one final thing. The comfort of this text is that if you look at the world, and the world is going in a certain direction, and you feel that you're on a different track, and it's headed to oblivion, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because the world is always wrong. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow the way that leads to eternal life. 
So if everybody's intimidating you and browbeating you about how, well, you know, you and your stupid pastor and your stupid church and your stupid pregnancy and your stupid marriage and your stupid, 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 dirty diapers and your stupid, dirty house and your, your stupid priorities and, and rejoice and be glad because the Holy Spirit has revealed spiritual thoughts through spiritual words and has given you faith. And all that stupidity is an indication of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Okay? Don't let them intimidate you. What's that Latin saying? Anybody know Latin? Who knows Latin? Oh, Josh, if you don't raise your hand now, you're pathetic. <laughs> Can you quote that Latin phrase that, that begins something like nonum est carborundum, da 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 illegitimum? Does anybody know that saying? Okay, John Crumb, stand up and say the saying in Latin, please. And being translated delicately. (laughs) Wear you down. Wear you down. It's a wonderful saying. Don't let those who have all the bling fool you and seduce you away from the straight and narrow path. Look at the Apostle Paul. How many of you love the Apostle Paul? Have you gotten after Galatians and the first part of Corinthians to the point where you love the Apostle Paul? I never ever thought in my life that I would love the Apostle Paul. There doesn't seem to be anything to love about him. But boy, (laughs) I wouldn't want to know him personally. (laughs) But from a distance, (laughs) I love him. (laughs) I love him. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit so humiliated him publicly. And and listen, people, stop a second. Listen to me. You think about what we've been through in the last few weeks, those of you who who know this church. And if if you have the eyes to see truth, if the Holy Spirit has given you eyes to see, what is clear to me is that God in his kindness gave us an unbelievable treasure. A treasure. A precious gift. Because every single one of you has now been able to forget about everybody else and think about yourself. And the brilliant light of heaven has come into our hearts and illuminated ourselves to ourselves. Every one of us. And has called us to repent and to be holy. How can that be bad? Now to the world, it's awful. 
But listen, it's a precious gift to us. And the fruit of it, it's everywhere. In my life, it's everywhere. How about yours? So that's a little example of where forgetting the bling and combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words produces unbelievable fruit.